Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. We're going to be in Acts 11 tonight. Acts chapter 11, please. And we're going to begin looking, uh, starting at verse 19 here in just a few moments. Thank you so very much for allowing uh, my wife Ellen and me to be part of this conference and to get uh, so much better acquainted with you, part of this church, and the various aspects. I've had a number of very uh, wonderful conversations that have encouraged me. I've gotten to know the pastoral staff, some of the school staff, and then renewed fellowship with folks that I've known for years, and it's just, it's just been great. Had a whole lot, way too much really good food. And then thank you for sending a Greenville, South Carolina rain to us today, okay? So you made me feel right at home today with humidity and uh, a, great, a great time. Sada, I was listening to your tremendously uh, motivating testimony and report. And uh, it reminded me of one of my girls. We have two boys and two girls. And uh, our older daughter had been out traveling with a ministry team. And she had spoken to a women's group that day. And we were talking to her and catching up. And she said this. She said, Daddy, if I were a guy, I would totally be a preacher. And Sada... I think you're almost there, okay? And uh, so thank you for your great enthusiasm and your zeal and for your determination to get back home and be with your people, the children that you love and the teenagers and the ladies that you're ministering to. It's just phenomenal. And the same with the Utleys and the same with the Carlisles and the same with the Papias family. Just uh, each, each person doing what God would have uh, the family, the person to do is uh, tremendous. Thank you, uh, pastor, brother-in-law, friend, uh, uh, Ken and Dean and Judy. They've hosted us. We just hosted them at our home a couple of weeks ago for four or five days, and now we've been with them for five days or so. So we're going to say goodbye to them tomorrow, and uh, they're going to say goodbye to us, and I'm sure they're glad that we will be moving on our way. We are going to uh, Utah next. And we have three grandchildren and a daughter, that same daughter, and her husband there. So we're going to, Ellen's going to be there for really the whole two weeks, I think. And then I'm going to take three days and go up to Wyoming around the end of September and be with the Northwest Baptist Missions Group. In the first week of October, my wife and I are just ourselves going to babysit the three grandchildren. Now, I love preachers, and I love getting out with preachers, and they have been telling me during those six days, you can't go be with preachers. You're going to be babysitting those two grandsons and that granddaughter, and I'm like, okay, I'm all in. They're ages seven and down, including a one-year-old and a three- or four-year-old, and so it's going to be a lot of fun. We're looking forward to that portion. And then I just, we get back to Greenville and then 
Marsh Fenton and I do a pastor's conference in uh, New Hampshire. We're preaching a couple of churches each. And then I'll be preaching here and there uh, until mid-November and then be in the Philippines. So as you think of it, pray for us and our ministry with Gospel Fellowship Association Missions, church planting, church staffing, uh, general ministry relations, and just more or less trying to be a friend to many pastors. Uh, pastors need a friend. And there are a number of men who are looking to transition out of full-time ministry due to aging and so forth. And, and then we're also looking for help for the churches that are looking for a pastor. We're helping 90 churches now with either looking for a pastor or a pastoral staff member. Uh, pushing 60 of those are looking for a pastor. So a lot to pray for, a lot to uh, ponder and think about, a lot of connections to make. And just like anybody else, we just want to be where the Lord would have us to be, doing what he would want us to be doing, and uh, certainly with a view toward uh, international missions. GFA is an over 80-year-old mission agency. Uh, we're in 36 or so nations. We have 150 active missionaries, approximately a, a GFA family of about 300 people all together, including uh, retirees. And uh, Dr. Bob Jones III is actually our president and chairman. And uh, we have a great uh, team of people, wonderful staff, and a great group of missionaries. So if we can ever be of any service in any way to any of you all, or if you hear of American churches, like-minded American churches, churches like yours, that are in need of a pastor or staff, we, we're glad to do whatever we can to be of help in that way. So we live in some challenging days, but God is able to do more than we can ever imagine, according to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Well, Sunday morning we talked about the concept of join, join the team. God's work is teamwork, and so important to us, for us to each be committed to be an active team member in God's work and to, and to play our role, to play our part on the team. Uh, Sunday night we talked about uh, using our gifts for the glory of God from 1 Peter chapter 4 about the speaking and serving gifts and we didn't get too complicated on spiritual gifts, but the basic point was that as we serve, that was our big word Sunday night, as we, as we serve, our gifts will surface and then we'll better know how God would have us uh, to serve Him. On, on Monday uh, night, we talked about the all-important role of prayer, the vital role of prayer in ministry and missions. And we talked about it practically, how we can cultivate uh, a richer prayer life, a more uh, perhaps structured prayer life, and then just give ourselves to praying for the spread of the gospel and for many different aspects of people's lives and ministry and how we all need prayer and how we all need to commit ourselves to an even stronger prayer life. Last night we talked about the importance of giving and giving to the Lord, being motivated by God in our giving, God-centered giving, giving that is is grace-empowered, not motivated by just have to, but want to, as God works in our hearts. And the, to know the joy of giving generously or liberally. The liberal soul shall be made fat. You can't outgive God. 
if we'll sow bountifully, by God's grace, we'll reap bountifully. And then tonight, I'd like to preach on the important topic of go. That would be the big word tonight. And I want us to look at that from the book of Acts. The idea could be looked at in a number of different ways from the book of Acts. But I would like for us to look at this little short passage at the end of Acts 11, starting in verse 19. And I'm speaking tonight on key components in missions and church planting. I realize that there are ways and activities and missions that are not directly the planting of a church, like sometimes educational ministries. Uh, there are radio ministries, there are a variety of things, but really, in a, in a biblical sense, all of those efforts should be going toward and not competing with the ministry of local churches. God is getting His work done in this world today through the planting and development of local churches. So when I say missions, from an American viewpoint, we usually mean across an international border, but actually the work of the ministry is essentially the same. It's the same biblical ministry. It takes place sometimes with little adaptations according to uh, the, the cultural situation that one is in. And it's good to be creative in missions. I'm not at all against that, but I'm just saying, let's think about some of the key components in, in missions. Now, the verse just prior to verse 19, verse 18, is actually concluding uh, two chapters focused upon gospel expansion in Caesarea by the sea, the conversion of the Roman centurion Cornelius and his family. That takes place in chapter 10. It was an amazing thing. Peter really had to be convinced that he should be doing this by giving the gospel to non-Jewish people. A vision took place and so forth. He comes back to Jerusalem and in chapter 11, he rehearses the fact that Cornelius and his family got saved there and others got saved. And and so this was news to the Jewish leaders of the church back in Jerusalem. And verse 18 establishes a principle in the book of Acts. Verse 18, when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Now, I am very glad that God saves Gentiles, aren't you? Okay, so we're here tonight because God ordained that the salvation of God would go to the Gentiles and that they would hear it. And so the book of Acts is about the progressive spread of the gospel, Jerusalem, Judea, focused largely upon Jewish people, then to Samaria, which was kind of a mixed area of part, you know, part Jew, part Gentile people. And great progress came to the gospel in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 9, Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, is saved, and he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. He'll preach to Jews, certainly, and in the synagogues, and persuade them that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ of God. But Paul, eventually, his ministry will progressively go toward the Gentiles. So we come to this critical passage, which is a pivotal passage at the end of Acts 11, 
with the gospel now taking a large and urgent turn toward more Gentile evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Now when they that were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, they spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, of, which was at Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad, and exhorted them all with purpose of heart that they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost, and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Let's pause for prayer. Lord, we thank you for what we've already heard tonight, this dynamic testimony from this very dedicated dear lady. And we pray for your power and blessing and protection upon her life and for the, the rest of her support to come in rapidly so she can return in a timely way to be back with the people she loves to minister to. And for all of our missionaries here this week, we are so thankful for each one, for their place of service in this world, and for not only them, but for the ministry and the people and leadership of Tri-City Baptist Church and International Baptist College and International Baptist Missions and all the related ministries. We thank you and we praise you and we pray your rich blessing upon each of these ministries and these men and women who love and serve you. Thank you for the, the many boys and girls and young people and college age young adults that are here in this vital place. And we pray that you would, as Lord of Harvest, send forth labors into your harvest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my first point tonight is in church planting and missions. God directs us to a place. God directs us to a place. Obviously, we're talking here in this passage about Syrian Antioch. This is not to be confused with Pisidian Antioch, noted in Acts 13, which was in central southern Asia Minor. This is the Syria, Syrian Antioch in its day. It's actually in Turkey today. It's called Antakya, I believe is how you pronounce it. And it's on the far, far southeastern edge corner of, of Turkey today. But in the day, it was in Syria, and it's about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It, is, it was in its day a city of some 500,000 people. It had a very diverse population. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire after the city of Rome and the city of Alexandria 
in Egypt. It was a place of great need with diverse people that would demand evangelists with differing burdens for differing people groups. It was from the church in Antioch, the last three verses of chapter 11 tell us, that famine relief would be sent to the Jerusalem saints. So these people had a heart for others from the get-go. And very significantly, Antioch would become the major sending church for all of Paul's three missionary journeys. All three missionary journeys originated in Syrian Antioch, and two of the journeys landed back in Antioch. Antioch would become the test city, if I can put it that way, for the principle of salvation by grace. In Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council uh, met trying to discern uh, what it would be that the new large number of Gentile converts would have to come under with regard to the, the Old Testament ceremonial law. So they discussed that among themselves. They came up with the conclusion, and then they sent out the decrees, the Jerusalem decrees, explaining basically that Gentiles and Jews are saved by grace alone. That's Acts 15, 11. It's a really important verse. It says there, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. In other words, it's not law-keeping, it's not submission to the ceremonial law of God that saves anyone. It's not being circumcised or uncircumcised that saves you. It's only faith in Christ that really matters. And so those findings were very important. And those findings would first be read, Acts 15, 23 tells us, at Antioch. And so Antioch was a very important place in the overall uh, activity of the book of Acts. Acts, the book of Acts, is a book of places. There are some 104 named places in, in the book of Acts. God is concerned that his people be where he wants them to be, to be doing what he wants them to do and to be the people that God would want them to be. I believe each of us has both a vocational will of God and a locational will of God. That vocational will may, may cultivate or morph or grow or have multi-dimensions to it. You may be doing something today for the Lord, believing you're right in the middle of God's will that you didn't know when you were younger you would be doing. That's certainly my case. I knew I'd be in the ministry, but I didn't know what exact aspect of ministry I would be in. God grows us over time to do things we never expected to do. I thought I was going to Greenville, South Carolina for four years. Next fall, it will be 50 years. So, as far as the home base goes. So you just never know. I don't believe that God just lets us flip a coin and make our own decisions about where we go. 
The book of James, chapter 4, the entrepreneurial businessman uh, says, as it were, I'm, I'm, he, he, he says, I'm going to go where I want to go, do what I want to do, buy and sell a year and get gain, and I, I'm going to do it. It says he boasts in his arrogance. In other words, he's making his plans apart from being dependent upon God. And James says under inspiration, for that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall do this and that. That's an altogether different attitude than being living independently from God. I hope you're living prayerfully, dependently upon God about where he wants you to be. Obviously, right now, you are in a place. And unless you know you're living in rebellion against God by being in this place, then you you would kind of assume, prayerfully assume, that this is the place where he would have you to be. And so we need to be doing what he wants us to be and be being what he wants us to be in the place of his appointment. But I do believe we all need to have an open heart to the possibility that by the Spirit of God's help, we may, it may be that God wants us to be somewhere else in his perfect will and timing. I'm not trying to unsettle anyone here tonight. Please, I'm not, I'm, that, is, that is not my intention by what I'm saying. But I am saying in the New Testament days, in the book of Acts, that men and women were moving, they were traveling, they were going, and they were doing that under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Some of it, impetus behind it, was actually persecution, as we see in verse 19. The same thing that caused Acts 8, 4 believers to be scattered abroad and go everywhere preaching the word, it was not just barely north of there to Samaria, but it was far north of there all the way to Syrian Antioch and no doubt beyond. There's a little principle in Acts 16 that I, I kind of like. It's Paul himself trying to discern uh, where God would have him to go. He wanted to go uh, to one area, but the scripture says there, this is Acts 16, 6 to 10, it says the Spirit permitted him not, the Holy Spirit. And so he thought he would go in another direction, and it says the Spirit permitted him not. But then he had a vision in the night, this man of Macedonia. We don't know exactly the nature of the vision, but the Scripture describes it briefly. And so, so this man of Macedonia said, come over and help us. And the Scripture there, Paul says, we assuredly gathered that the Lord had called us there to preach the gospel. So the gospel actually historically turned westward, or northwestward, if you will, and Paul went west rather than going east, and he went to Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, and he preached the gospel in those areas under the clear leadership of the Holy Spirit. So the simple principle is the no-no-yes principle, if you will. The no-no-yes principle. Not here, not here, but yes, here. And each of us need to know and be convinced that we're doing what God would have us to do, where God would have us to be doing that, and that we be people whom God 
can use. In church planting and missions, God directs us to a place. Secondly, in church planning and missions, God magnifies a person. That is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look back at our text there, please, in Acts chapter 11. It tells us in verse 20 that when they, those that came from Cyprus and Cyrene, came there preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 21 says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and many turned unto the Lord. And when Barnabas came, his ministry resulted in people being added to the Lord. Verse 24. And part of his exhortation when he was with the believers at Antioch, verse 23, the last phrase, he wanted them to cleave unto the Lord. The great thing was ha- that was happening at Antioch is that God was becoming first, foremost, and central in the lives of these people. The great salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ, His sinless life, His sacrificial death, His glorious resurrection, His ascension, His coming again, those truths were being proclaimed to sinners and sinners were turning to the Lord. We get excited about church planting. I've taught church planting BJ for some 25 years. I love teaching it. I wrote my little doctoral dissertation on it. That became the course manual. It's the most read doctoral dissertation, I think, in the history of BJU because I required my students to read that thing over the years. Had a little leverage on that one. Dissertations don't usually get read a lot after the committee signs off, if you know what I'm saying. I love to take a group of junior or senior college students who are kind of like, not so sure about this church planning thing. You know, you can be in your, you can go to church all of your life, but it's an altogether thing thinking about starting a church from scratch. That's a different thing. You can grow up in a family, but it's a whole different thing to start your own family, right? Okay. I can enjoy good food, but I don't have a clue about how to make it happen. Okay. I know, I, know it, I know what it's good when I eat it. Judy's a great cook and been enjoying some really good food. And my wife's a great cook and, and a lot of great cooks in this room. I've enjoyed good food for some restaurants, but I, I don't know anything about making that. I'd have to go to school and figure that out, and that still wouldn't be any good. There's a lot of things in life like that. And you know, it's easy when you're excited about something like that, be it church planting or be it missions, to get all caught up in the details, or perhaps all get caught up in the details of church life and all the activities and all the schedules and all the cool things and all the neat people and all the great music and just on and on and on. But the focus, if we do it right, needs to be the Lord, doesn't it? And all of those great things can be a means to an end to putting our focus on the Lord. Or we might get so 
exhausted with the activity that somehow we take our eyes off of the Lord. In fact, you can come to church and you can be in church a long time and many people are very active in church who don't yet actually know the Lord personally, right? Be sure that you really know the Lord. And as a believer, be sure that you're really clinging, cleaving unto the Lord Himself. And if we will know the Lord, and we will love the Lord, and we will keep our eyes on the Lord, and pray to the Lord, and read the Lord's Word, and have a humble and tender heart, I believe that He'll show us where we need to be geographically, and He'll show us what we need to do in our service for Him. We have a God who's not trying to keep any of that a secret from us. He, his will is not lost. It does not need to be found. It is revealed. And it is revealed in his word. And it is revealed as he works in our hearts and points the way. So in church planning and mission, God magnifies a person. In church planning and missions, God uses people. We've been talking about that some already. In this particular passage, we see that there were some people that came up from the south, from uh, Jerusalem, and, and they were preaching the gospel to Jews only. It may have been a linguistic thing, perhaps, or it may have just been that's the group they were with, Antioch was full of diverse people groups, but there would have been, no doubt, a large entourage of Jewish people there who needed to know the Lord. And it's not that they were meant the Gospels exclusively for Jews, because we've already gotten past that in the, the Gospels and in the book of Acts, but their heart burden was for Jewish people. There were others, however, that came over from the island of Cyprus, about 60 miles west of Syria, and actually from northern Africa. That's where Cyrene, you might call it Cyrene, I think the pronunciation is Cyrene, which is uh, in today's Libya, I believe, would have been that country today. And they'd come far north, and they were burdened for Greek-speaking non-Jews. You know, you, you probably, if you're evangelistic, you, you have burden for certain types of people more than others. That's okay. We still ought to be open to giving the gospel to others. But God burdens people differently. And we see that even in the missionaries here in this conference. So God used people with diverse backgrounds, with diverse burdens to reach diverse people. And then we see that God used a special person, an encourager, by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas was part of the leadership at the Church of Jerusalem. In the book of Acts, when the gospel would go to another region in a major and new way, the Jerusalem leadership would check it out. 
they would want to know the reality of it. And frankly, I'm sure they were just very curious, and they were probably progressively more and more excited as his non-Jewish people came to know the Lord. And so they sent Barnabas up to Antioch. That's a long trip. That's 300 miles. They didn't have a little plane to go up there in, and they didn't have the road system we had today. It might have taken several days for Paul to make that journey. I'm sure it took a week or two uh, for Barnabas to make that journey. But he went up to Antioch, and what a blessing he was. It says in verse 23 that when he came, he and had seen the grace of God. That's just, when it says, seen the grace of God, say, how do you see the grace of God? It just means they saw what God was doing by his grace to save people and change people. So they, he saw the grace of God at work in saving people. He was glad, and he exhorted them all with purpose of heart that they would cleave unto the Lord. Notice his character. He was a good man, and full of the Holy Spirit, and full of faith. Barnabas was a positive person. He saw the glass half full. He was steadfast for Christ. He was encouraging. Can I just say that the work of God is greatly advanced by people who have a positive faith attitude. We can do a lot more for God if we have a vision of what can be done rather than what someone else did that wasn't up to our expectations. Wouldn't you say? In my ministry, I've had people along the way who were the encouraging type. I'm, I, I know Brother Indeen would know men like Dr. Bob Shelton, evangelist. Dr. Wendell Heller, former pastor of Colonial Hills Baptist Church in Indianapolis, or an evangelist like Jerry Savinsky, or other preachers and just friends that you would have along the way, and I'd I'd cross their path somewhere, and they would just have a little gleam in their eye, and they would say, even if it wasn't true, they would say, they would say, you're doing a great job. Well, when an older saint says anything like that, it just it just kind of buoys your spirit a little bit. And, okay, thank you, you know. But you never forget that. And those men were characterized by this spirit that I believe Barnabas had. And then Barnabas did a most remarkable thing. He went a little north from Syrian Antioch, a little west, to Tarsus in Cilicia. And the text says that he sought He sought out Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus had gotten saved in Acts 9. In fact, it was Barnabas who went to the Jerusalem leadership when they were fearful of him because he had been so mean toward Christians, and he reassured the Jerusalem leadership, hey, he's with us, he's not against us, he's okay. But it, it was still hard. And so Saul goes back to his home area, and get this, for likely seven to ten years. I think he would have been active. I think he would have been serving the Lord. He'd been in the uh, desert for three years and then back up there for seven to ten years. So he, he, had, he had really not launched his ministry. But Barnabas knew there was a man with phenomenal potential for the gospel of Christ. He went up 
He got him. He brought him down to Antioch. And they commenced a one-year teaching ministry together. A tremendous thing that Paul did, that Barnabas did, that, that would greatly advance the gospel. And then God used a specially prepared man, as I've been mentioning, Saul of Tarsus himself. A man uniquely gifted to understood the Old Testament scriptures, could communicate with Jewish people, could communicate with Gentile people, and just had a gift set that was incredible. Now, you and I are not Saul of Tarsus or the Apostle Paul. We're probably not even Barnabas. But in church planting and in missions, God uses people. And it really should be the earnest desire of each of our hearts that whether we are a full-time international missionary, as our friends are here, or whether we're holding the ropes at home, that we see ourselves as vitally involved in missions international and certainly in our missions effort locally. And then finally tonight, in missions and church planting, God establishes a pattern. He establishes a pattern. And I want us to see that pattern briefly here in this passage. Again, we're just looking at the same verses, but through a little different angle. We read in verse 21 that a great number believed and turned to the Lord. That's evangelism. You come to verse 22, and Barnabas is exhorting them to cleave to the Lord with purpose of heart. That's discipleship. Barnabas also had an evangelistic impact in verse 24, and more people, much people, was added to the Lord, not only through him, but through others that were ministering there. And then in verse 26, they taught together for a year, Barnabas and Saul, and the Christians, the disciples who were first called Christians. That's discipleship. What am I saying? I'm saying there's a pattern here, and it's throughout the book of Acts, of evangelism, discipleship, evangelism, discipleship. Evangelism and discipleship have been called the alternating heartbeats of the gospel. Evangelism and discipleship are like the twin engines of a twin-engine plane. How many engines is a twin-engine plane meant to run on? This is not a trick question, okay? Two. If it's going to run like it's intended to run, it has to run on two engines. Now, can it run on one engine? And the pilots in this room that have been trained know that you can lose an engine, and with certain procedures and skills, you can actually keep that plane flying, and you can bring it down on just one engine. But it won't run very long on just one engine. I'm not sure, maybe it can, but I'm not sure if you can take it off on just one engine. Take it off, get it off the ground. I I wouldn't want to be on that plane, okay? If that's what you're going to try to do. And you know, in missions and in church planning, God intends there to be a biblical balance between evangelism and discipleship. A church plant, an established church, is meant to run on two engines. Evangelism and discipleship working in tandem, hand in hand, 
And good evangelism produces opportunities for good discipleship. And good discipleship produces more opportunities for good evangelism. But a lot of ministries in our country are trying to run essentially on just one engine. Back in the day, it seemed like a lot were running on the engine of evangelism. And maybe it seemed at times evangelism only, okay? Or evangelism primarily, and maybe the solid Bible teaching sometimes was lacking, but we're thankful for evangelism. Today it seems like the pendulum has swung, and swung for a long time, that, that many churches try to just run on the, the engine of discipleship and teaching, as good a thing as that is. And some people look at them as blended together. I realize there's all kind of ways to look at this. But I'll tell you what, if a church is not seeing people come to Christ on a fairly regular basis, there will be a day when that church's ministry is done when everyone dies off. And so God help us individually, personally, to be people that have the balance in our personal lives and God help us in our, in our way of doing ministry that we would keep in mind the pattern that God has set of both evangelism and discipleship. So God raised up this great sending center in Antioch. Out from Antioch, the church at Antioch would go these missionary journeys. And get this, from Antioch, Syrian Antioch, the gospel would go to Pisidian Antioch, to Lystra, to Iconium, to Derbe, to Philippi, to Berea, to Thessalonica, to Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, back to Jerusalem, on to Caesarea, and eventually to Rome. So Antioch was very important as a sending center. Ephesus would become a sending center. Acts 19 and verse 10 says of the ministry at Antioch, so that all they that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. I think Thessalonica became something of a sending center. For in, in 1 Thessalonians 1, we read, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith toward God uh, is known abroad. So God raises up sending centers. I've lived in Greenville, South Carolina for all of my adult life. There's a very real sense in which Greenville, South Carolina is, is one of God's sending centers. But in Greenville, we have to remind ourselves that the Great Commission is not about staying, staying in Greenville, getting overly comfortable, enjoying all the benefits of a rich Christian community, rich in fellowship, rich in Bible teaching. The Great Commission is not about staying. The Great Commission is about going. And it's wonderful to be a part of a of, of a ministry, a mature ministry that's multifaceted and, and reaching its own community and has so many wonderful blessings and benefits that we, we all enjoy being a part of that type of thing. But let us not get too complacent and too settled. 
And as our missionary friends this week have reminded us about the vast number of people around the world who have never heard the gospel of Christ, who don't have access to the Bible as we do, who do not hear Bible preaching and where there is no sound biblical church in their community or within reach. Don't you think every community, in every community in this world, there ought to be a sound biblical ministry, a place where Jesus is preached and people are built up in the faith and more laborers are sent out? In our community, we have scores, if not hundreds of churches that are basically in the the realm of of being biblical. A lot of flavors there, but biblical in a general sense. You with me? I think the same is true in in this broader Phoenix area. Just go to the, you can't go to the phone book anymore, but you could go online and find that there are a lot of at least professing biblical churches. And don't misread me. I'm not down on that. And I'm not saying if this is your place that you ought to go anywhere. But I just think we need to remember that there's two letters in the word gospel and those letters are go, aren't they? G-O. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. That you should go and Bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Even as the Father has sent me, even so I send you, Jesus said. But ye shall be witnesses unto me, unto the uttermost part of the earth. This is multifaceted. It's a team effort. It takes everybody going together. But it's something that's given to us from the one who has all authority in heaven and in earth. And we ought to renew our commitment, our personal commitment to fulfilling the Great Commission with all of the energy of our remaining lives. Would you pray with me, please? Would you bow your heads? We've been preaching. We've been praying. You've been coming. You've been listening. I pick up that God is working in hearts. And I would like us tonight, before the Lord, individually, to seal the decisions and the influence of the Holy Spirit upon our lives through the Word, through these wonderful testimonies, and the different angles, that, that whatever it is that God has been saying to your heart about your life, that you would say, Lord, Have your way in my life. If God has been dealing with you this week and has been speaking to your own heart about a need, a need of renewal, a need of recommitment, a need of surrender, a need for greater soul winning, a need to activate your spiritual gift, to be a positive, encouraging person toward the work of the ministry. Whatever it is, I I might not have even come close to naming it, but you would say, Brother McAllister, God has been speaking to my heart and I want the Lord to have His way 
in my life. Right now, I'm going to do business with God. Would you raise your hand if that's your situation here tonight across the room? Across the room, God's spoken to my heart, and I want him to have his way in my life. We're going to, I'm going to ask the pianist to just play, and I want you to pray. And you do business with God. Now, all across the room, let God have his way in your life, and then the pastor will come in a few moments, and he will close the service as he sees fit.